This is an RNZ podcast. We sold our souls for a few dollars. That was the bleak headline on an article in the Herald last month by sports editor Dylan Cleaver, which lifted the lid on a messy dispute between some schools, the government body Sport New Zealand, Sky TV, and former Olympic gold medalist and current New Zealand Olympic Committee chef the mission, Rob Waddell. The Herald's headline was based on a quote from Auckland Grammar School headmaster Tim O'Connor, who was talking about a deal done with Sky TV last year to broadcast high school sports events to which Rob Waddell's company, New Zealand Sports Collective, has exclusive sponsorship and marketing rights. Now, that deal followed Sky Television backing the New Zealand Sports Collective project last year at a reported cost of $10 million over three years. More than 50 national sports organisations, including Umbrella Body School Sport New Zealand, signed up to that deal. And the platform for all this, Sky Sport Next, was launched last year and described like this in promotional trailers by Sky CEO Martin Stewart and Rob Waddell. Welcome to Sky Sport Next our new initiative supporting grassroots sport and rising talent across New Zealand. We're proud to be investing in Sky Sport Next to give over 50 sports a chance to be seen and to grow. Through Sky Sport Next, these athletes and their sports have the chance to tell their story. And there's quite a lot on Sky Sports Next. There's hockey, athletics, gymnastics and even sports like speed wall climbing and highlights from last year's secondary school orienteering champs. Uh, we're sorry about the mud and the rain, but as many of you who've been to Woodhall before will know, it is quite typical of winter in Woodhall. Go! And the girls are off. The trailers promoted this as a one-stop shop where players, volunteers and fans can all see this stuff and that it's all good for school sport. We are thrilled to be working with Rob Waddell and the New Zealand Sport Collective to deliver this groundbreaking broadcast partnership. Sky's putting sport in the hands of Kiwis. It's an incredible step towards the growth and sustainability of New Zealand sport. Sky Sport Next have provided enormous opportunities for people to get off their butts and get back out onto the field. This is what Sky is about, being the home of sport for all New Zealanders with the best local, national and international sports. But even back then, not everybody was thrilled by this partnership or the platform. In late February, the Herald's Dylan Cleaver reported that some school principals felt blindsided by the deal and some schools didn't even think it was a good idea that their kids should end up on TV, whether they wanted to or not. For his part, Rob Waddell told the Herald he did have the support of a number of principals and that consultation with schools had been detailed and none of the schools would be compelled to compete on camera and wouldn't be excluded from events if they didn't. Sport New Zealand's chief executive, Peter Miskimmon, said at the time it had concerns. Professionalisation of high school sport, child protection, match-fixing and gender equity. But he said these had all been, or will be, addressed. In his piece for The Herald, Dylan Cleaver said that Sport New Zealand's Peter Miskimmon had endorsed the plan despite serious concerns among his own staff, which were revealed in correspondence released under the Official Information Act, and emails which revealed that Sport New Zealand staffers feared getting on the wrong side of Olympic champion Rob Waddell. But both Rob Waddell and Sky's Martin Stewart would only respond to written questions to The Herald submitted by email. Now that wound up News Talk ZB sportscaster Martin Devlin, who wanted to confront Rob Bedell on his show. Put your PR schmuck company to one side, come on and actually answer some questions like a man. That's my challenge to you. And you can't criticise Rob. Oh no, you can't question Rob. Read the emails in Dylan's article, ladies and gentlemen, where the highfalutin executives at Sport New Zealand are too terrified to question Rob Bedell because of his contacts and his position. 
And ZB's Martin Devlin opened his show last Sunday like this. Every time I say Rob Waddell, you've got Sport New Zealand in bed with what is nothing but a commercial operation. Every time I say Rob Waddell, because this is what it's about for him. Rob Waddell is not involved in this for any other purpose than making money. Now, as a, as, a, as a citizen of New Zealand and an entrepreneur and all of that kind of stuff, he's got absolutely every right. He can start a company. He can make money if that's the case. But don't do it under the guise of pretending to do good for young New Zealand athletes because that's not what this is about. Now, that was just part of an extended and increasingly emotional on-air editorial in which the cash register sound effect got a pretty thorough workout. And in that, Martin Devlin had gone on to say this. Be warned, Sky Sport, you've got a, a psycho bunch of parents on your hands here. We've got banners. We are going to go, OK? And, and what are you going to do to stop us? Call the police? You can't do that. I have every right to protest against this, and I will. This is about my kids as far as I'm concerned, and if you're a parent, I need to hear from you. Are you happy with them exploiting your kids and making money out of it? Now, it's not often that a big-name sportscaster threatens to disrupt the broadcasting of actual sport. Martin Devlin even went on to say that this was something the government needs to sort out, and he was echoed by Stuff Sports reporter Jackson Thomas last month on RNZ Sport Podcast Extra Time. I think we're getting to a point now, I would suggest Grant Robertson even needs to make a statement on this. Someone needs to come out and really front-foot this and explain exactly how this deal, why this deal was cut, and if... if to, to your point, if this is something that is such a, you know, we're playing with fire, etc., well, then it needs to be completely revisited and the people at the top need to either roll over or completely reflip the model because we, this has started because it does not serve the best interests of the kids. Now, in that podcast, the brains behind Sky Next and New Zealand Sports Collective, Rob Waddell, did speak about the criticism of the venture because he said there'd been so much misinformation in the media, it was time to clear it up. Now, he said his outfit does get a management fee, but sports will get money from the broadcasting, and that the whole thing has a charter to ensure that coverage will be positive and not put any kids under pressure from professionalisation. Please have a look at this charter document. It outlines all of the, the possible concerns you might have in regards to the well-being of your, cho- your children and your students. You know, everything from wagering, um, you know, what happens in the event of an accident, um, consent to being filmed, age of broadcast, uh, how an athlete might be interviewed. Earlier this month, Nine to Noon's Catherine Ryan lined up the CEO of Crown Entity Sport New Zealand, the CEO of Basketball New Zealand, one of the codes that has joined this broadcast plan, and the CEO of the New Zealand Cricket Players Association, Heath Mills, a former teacher who's dead against it. We've seen some sports this happen already. So you have young young folk making their way in life, just learning uh, their sport and, and, and what it is to be successful in life. They make a mistake or they do something silly on the field. But prior to these events being broadcast, that might have been in front of a few hundred people and they might have got some ribbing and some stick from that in the past. They can deal with that. Now when that happens, the whole world sees. And through social media, we have adults and many, many other people piling in and criticising and critiquing and abusing our kids. And after that, RNZ's podcast The Detail, a co-production with Newsroom, picked up the story by going back to the journalist who first raised these concerns, Dylan Cleaver from The Herald, and his reservations about it all are even stronger. Other schools will not get poor so much as they'll just give up. They just won't even have the pretense of running a robust sports program. I'm going to use an emotive word here, but I don't actually think it's inept, and I think that will be 
catastrophic for the future of New Zealand sport. Uh, not at a high performance level so much, but at a community level. However, for years now, secondary school rugby has been broadcast by Sky Sports without commodification causing a catastrophe for the sport at grassroots level, so far as we know. So I asked RNZ Sports reporter Joe Porter to decode the stoush of the streaming of school sport. Well, Joe, there's been a lot of concern uh, about an opposition to Sky Sports Next uh, that's been expressed lately, uh, kind of a burst of media coverage of this, people saying it commodifies kids' sport. I mean... Hasn't high school rugby been, yeah, first 15 stuff, been broadcast for years on Sky? And has that actually created any of those sorts of problems? Well, I would say yes, it probably has. I mean, you look at the people that are watching secondary school rugby tournaments, especially in Auckland. You've got 15, 20 NRL scouts on the sideline of that first 15 competition any, any average weekend. Of course, different this year with COVID. Um, so you are commodifying young kids at 17, 16, 15-year-olds getting offered contracts at NRL clubs based solely on their performances for their first 15. So yes, you could argue that they are doing that already. Um, in terms of specialisation, undoubtedly so. And undoubtedly so. These kids play rugby and nothing else. Over the summertime, they don't play cricket. They play touch rugby or some other form of pre-season training for rugby. They but, can, but wouldn't they be doing that even if it wasn't being broadcast occasionally on... Sky TV. Yes, you're right. In terms of the first 15, they are probably already looking at specialising anyway. However, we've seen it increase. Since these games have been broadcast and since the top schools have been more on television, poaching has become a bigger issue. Players are looking for exposure at other schools, so that you're getting a lot of players that, you know, Roger Tuivasa-Sheik grew up at Ot- and spent his time at Otahu College. You don't get that anymore because players of his calibre are leaving to go to schools that will get exposure in that first uh, 1A first 15 Auckland competition. So it's already happening. You know, re- research would suggest that's not a very good approach to uh, for a young athlete. They should be doing a whole range of different sports, not only for a physical thing, but just for their well-being and becoming a more well-rounded person. So, yeah, it, it certainly does encourage specialisation. There's been a problem there. Without the TV, it's certainly been exacerbated, exacerbated by the broadcasting. But if this platform, Sky Sport Next, launched in November, why is it only now, I mean, more than half a year later, almost a full year later, that there seems to have been this burst of media coverage and concern uh, about the effect it may or may not be having um, and you know where the money's going and so on? Why, why now, if it launched without too much controversy um, months and months ago. I guess perhaps it was because there was a lack of transparency at the start that people weren't fully aware of what was involved, what had happened to get this deal across the line, who'd signed up to it, who had essentially sold the rights away, were they legally able to? A whole bunch of questions began to be raised because people weren't sure how this agreement had been had been reached between Secondary School New Zealand Council, the Secondary School Sport New Zealand, and Rob Woodell Sports Collective. Did schools give their permission? There was a lot of element around secondary schools saying, hey, we weren't consulted. People have made a decision on behalf of us. Uh, essentially, a can of worms was opened when people started to ask questions about what it meant for the, for the teenagers involved, what benefit were the schools and athletes getting, or, and what benefit was the sports collective in Sky getting. Yeah, so one example would be the, the Heralds did on Cleaver putting in Official Information Act requests and finding out that amongst Sport New Zealand, you know, the crown agency that's supposed to uh, keep an eye on sport, I guess, um, for from the participation side of things, and finding that staff members there had you know, concerns about this deal being struck with Rob Waddell, how it was done, his influence, etc. That sort of stuff we didn't know about until, you know, he 
did the hard yards of asking questions and writing letters, I suppose. That's right. And, you know, there's been questions asked of the New Zealand Olympic Committee as well. And, of course, they have refused to actually go on air and, 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 and any sort of on-air debate. They've only responded and written responses to any questions. So there's a, there's a concern that perhaps when – because Rob Waddell is still chef to mission at New Zealand Olympic Committee. Right, well, which, which means he's effectively the guy who has oversight of all yeah. those elite athletes who are amateurs. That's right. Going, going to, yeah, and going while to there's live. no legal problem with him separating his business interests and coming up with the sports collective on the side to his position as chef to mission – it does raise some potential ethical conflicts of interest. He's obviously had access to the International Olympic Committees, the way they deal with their intellectual property, and he's essentially taken all those business models and put them into the sports collective uh, with, of course, his knowledge and access to all these uh, you know, sort of power players within this environment. So there, there is a question about whether he's used uh, his power as shift of mission to influence the result of the sports collective and Sky getting these rights. Well, when it launched back in November last year, Sky's CEO, Martin Stewart, described Sky Sport Next as a way of giving back to the community, mm. to grassroots sport. Um, the figure of $10 million yep. over three years is in mm-hmm. the material they themselves put out uh, in the public domain, which is one of the figures we do know about um, this arrangement. I mean, on the face of it, it would seem to a lot of people like a good thing that, yep. I mean, sports, we're talking basketball, we're talking things like wall climbing, orienteering, yes. you know, they never get on television. And that here is a platform where, you know, the, the high school orienteering champs in Woodville. Um, Correct. You know, are on screen, so someone's relatives yes. uh, in you know Matara or whatever can log on and see it for nothing. And if ten million bucks is going, well, some of it is going into minority sport. Th- this all seems like a good thing. Yeah, uh, you know, national sports organisations get around sixty thousand dollars each. It would seem out of this ten million a year, out of this ten million dollars. So you know, that, it's not a huge amount of money, but they'll take what they can get. A lot of these organisations run off the smell of an oily rag. They host tournaments to get very little coverage. They struggle to get schools and stuff there. So you'd you'd assume that this would help with all that, encouraging schools to participate in these tournaments, a chance to see some sports we don't regularly see, recognition for those sports, recognition for the athletes and competitions and those involved. And yeah, like you say, exposure. For sports and for and for players and for schools as well that don't necessarily get that sort of traditional exposure. So you would think that on, on that sense, in that sense, it is a good thing. They have a charter which is supposedly looking after all, all these schools and making sure that there's not overexposure to one school. You know, it's not focusing on, on that particularly strong school going all the way through the tournament. One school will only be shown two games per thing, all this sort of stuff. So look, at that level, it seems like everything is good. You would, the question that is being asked, though, who is really getting the majority of the benefit out of this? They're getting 60k a year this in the NSOs. There's no obvious direct link to, to what the secondary schools are getting out of it monetarily, no direct link monetarily for the students or any benefits along those lines. So there are questions as to whether that sort of token gesture is more of an opportunity for Sky to pick up exclusive rights for all high school sport in New Zealand and essentially land grab and land bank those rights for a relatively small price. Is this likely to be a money spinner? I mean, there can't be that much no. money in the orienteering champs from Woodville. No, I mean, absolutely not. You're right. And many, many, many of these tournaments and many of the things that they broadcast won't actually spend any money for Sky. They'll lose money, no doubt, of course, off it. So, but you can't help but wonder, some of these, some of these uh, tournaments, some of these schools, some of these sports are going to produce future worldwide stars. And you wonder whether or not Sky getting in there early and cashing in. I mean, it's pretty exclusive of the rights they get. I've seen uh, one of the contracts, which it, it is essentially giving Sky ultimate control and the sports collective over everything in terms of what gets broadcast, the marketing, the merchandising, all that sort of stuff lies with the sports collective. Now, you wouldn't they you wouldn't think they would be doing that and taking on. Rob Woodell did appear on your extra time 
podcast. Yes. Uh, and it was uh, 10, 10 minutes or so where he, he answered your questions. And he said, you referred to it earlier, a charter governing the filming and broadcast of events. So um, kids under 15 won't be on television, yeah. I think. Um, coverage doesn't zero in on just winners and final mm-hmm. stages. And he also said something like a commentary will be positive in tone. So, you know, for, for, will all that calm the critics? It'll go some way to calming uh, the concerns around the player welfare or the welfare of these teenage athletes. Because, mm. of course, if you're broadcasting these these games, some of them of which are high pressure and have there's a lot on the line for these teams. If a player does make a glaring error on the field, it opens themselves to social media bullying, vilification, all that sort of stuff. So, putting some control around the way that that is that is broadcast and 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 is put out there, I guess, does potentially help that aspect rather than just Joe Bloggs live streaming it from the sideline and any old man and his dog can comment and who knows what that commentary will involve. I think there's still questions around why Sports Collective are doing it. Is it totally utilitarian or altruistic or are they in it to make money for themselves? Mm. I mean, Heath Mills of the Cricket Players Association, who I think was a former teacher, I might be wrong about that, but he's... Um, he's spoken about that this has happened, bullying, social media mockery right. of young people. I mean, has it really? Is it, is it common that people would, would do that? Yeah, and he, they, he's also part of the Athletes Federation New Zealand who deal with adult athletes, and he's saying, him and Roger Mortimer, who also work for that federation, have, are seeing unprecedented, according to them, amounts of adult athletes giving the sport away or having mental breakdowns due to that moment, that point of intersection between performance and profit and money. And essentially, we're high-performance athletes. That intersection where revenue is created from it, it just adds extra pressure. It heaps even more pressure on top of these athletes who are already desperate to perform. And a lot of them simply aren't coping, even as adults. They're worried that you're going to bring that down even further. You're going well, to bring it sounds it... a bit hypothetical, though. I mean, the sort of stuff that's on Sky Sport Next, like, you know, for example, a basketball match, was someone makes, some kid makes a horrible flub, it gets yeah. broadcast, you know, even regardless, they say that the, the charter should mitigate against that, their, their, their practices they put in place. But is it really likely that someone would make a, you know, a, a game-losing Error that would be extracted because it's online, and somehow that the, the, the teenager who'd done that would be the subject of mockery. Is, is, is oh, it, that's is it happening. Really, it's happening. It's happening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You uh, you can go on Facebook any weekend and see a multiple random people of the public live streaming rugby games, sports games from the sidelines of a school. They, they might have a particular player they're following or a particular interest because of a family member, but it's still happening. And of course, when someone makes a howler or, or an illegal player. If that's a live stream that's got public comments open, people can just jump in straight away. It doesn't matter who you are and type away, what a useless whatever, or terrible move, get him out of the team. Oh, I can't think, no one should be there. Racist comments, all sorts of stuff can come in. Mm-hmm. And so it's already happening. Perhaps this sports collective and charter will actually put some guidelines around that and potentially stop some of that harm. But yes, definitely social media vilification and bullying is already happening well, one thing that Rob Waddell told you on uh, your interview with him on Extra Time was that School Sport New Zealand is, in his words, at the head of the table mm. on this. So if some of these downsides that the critics have talked about, if they do start cropping up, could they be a, a kind of break on the New Zealand Sports Collective and Sky's operation? I'm not sure. I know that schools have an opt-out clause. So each individual school, if they're not comfortable with being involved in the Sports Collective, can pull out. Is a tricky one in itself, though, because if you've got players that want that exposure, that want to be seen in these tournaments, and parents that want to push their children to be seen and to succeed, then 
it's going to be quite hard for a school to pull out because they might lose half of their players that will go to another school that is willing to put them on telly. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an out clause, but it comes with a caveat. Who's actually going to bail on this and lose all their athletes or lose the support of their family or lose the support of you know, the parents of those t- athletes because they want them to be on telly and they want to do it. So it's, yes, you can pull out, but there'll be a lot of external pressure from other people to stop them doing so. Uh, Secondary School Sports Council, now, yes, they do. They were at the head of the table in this in terms of the consultation process, but there were a lot of principals. Auckland Grammar's uh, principal, Tim O'Connor, I believe his name off the top of my head, uh, mm-hmm. was one in particular that said he wasn't consulted. There, and there were a, a spate of uh, high-profile sports schools where their principals weren't consulted on this. So they were wondering how this deal was put across the line before they were even talked to. I know Rob Waddell and the Sports Collective have since held meetings with those principals to try and allay some of their fears, but I'm not sure that necessarily has happened. They feel left out of the process. They feel like there hasn't been enough transparency and they're not quite sure if the Secondary School Sports, uh, Secondary School Sports Council, New Zealand Sport, Secondary School Sports uh, Group actually even had, in essence, the power to agree to give Sports Collective and Sky those rights in the first place. Mm. Well, Joe, in the end, as we mentioned, a whole lot of coverage and scrutiny of this over the past month or so, including from yourself. Do you think that um, the sort of criticism or the, or the warnings about the possible downsides of this project in the media might have an impact. I mean, even um, Martin Devlin on the radio threatening to disrupt the broadcast. I've, I've never heard yes, a, a sportscaster actually threaten to disrupt um, <laughs> the, the broadcast of, of stuff on, on Sky TV. Um, do, do you think all this will actually have an impact on, on the project? It might have to be rethought based on the sorts of things we've heard about it over the past month? Well, possibly. There certainly needs to be some more transparency around what's going on. And I would like New Zealand Olympic Committee, NZOC, and... Uh, High Performance Sport New Zealand uh, to front up a little bit more on this issue. I don't think it will. I think NZOC are doing their best to distance themselves as much as possible. Um, Sport New Zealand, Peter Miskimmon, the outgoing CEO, has done his best to sort of distance themselves from it as much as they possibly can. Um, I think people are, uh, yeah, and government sort of agencies are trying their best to stay out of it because it's incredibly murky. And Joe, something else we took a look at in the program today was uh, the media response to, I guess, the disappointing news that last week that um, the Four Nation Rugby Championship uh, will not be here. It'll be in Australia because Sanzar took a look at it and they're saying the quarantine rules too tight here to make it a goer. So they've they've gone with Australia where it it is a bit looser uh, in terms of their pitch. Mm. This has been portrayed as uh, then the government kind of making what they call a bespoke solution, so yeah. trying to ensure that as a second prize the Bledisloe Cup games are held here and uh, and changing the quarantine rules for Australia where they mm-hmm. say the risk is a bit lower. This has been painted as something that is the government dropping the ball, you yeah. know, pun intended, um, <laughs> and that this is costing millions of dollars, uh, something that definitely should have been here, would have been here if the government hadn't um, made a mess of it. Uh, is that an accurate picture in your mind, that, that something that would definitely would have been a multi-million dollar money spinner and something fans would have enjoyed will not be here because of the way the government handled it? I mean, on the, at the most basic of levels, yes, the quarantine rules were essentially what got the rugby championship to Australia and what helped Australia get that bit over the line, if you can call it a bit. But no, the rugby championship isn't even guaranteed to go ahead at this point. South Africa and Argentina have been invited to join a four-nation tournament in Australia, which will be held in November and December, in Sydney, largely based in New South Wales. However, South Africa yesterday 
in an email announcing their domestic competition and its restructure due to COVID-19, saying that they weren't sure if the Springboks were going to play any international rugby this year. They're certainly not prepared because they haven't had any international any rugby at all under their belt, so they'd need a, a fair bit of time to prepare. They'd need to bring a really large squad to mitigate all the injuries that would happen from players being underprepared. They've got COVID issues going on in their own country, and they are not yet guaranteed to come here. In fact, it's looking increasingly unlikely South Africa are going to make it over for the rugby championship. Yeah, the South African rugby themselves said, while it would be incredibly disappointing not to have the world champions play a year after winning the World Cup. It's a distinct possibility this year. We are doing all we can to ensure we will play some test rugby, but it's very, very much uncertain. And if you've got that kind of uncertainty coming out of a, a national rugby union, you'd have to think it's, it's highly unlikely that they'll even get here in the year. In Argentina, they've had, what, 14 or so players test positive, including their head coach. Some of them now are negative, but they've had to break 14. up. They've had to, they had six at one point and then eight at another. And oh, the six I knew bro- about the six. I didn't know about the other eight. So six, in, six initially, and then they broke the bubble, of course, because they were in a training bubble. And then f- uh, eight others tested positive, including their coach. So they, they've had to break the bubble again. I can't see Argentina and South Africa coming to to Australia to the rugby championship. I don't think the government, will, the Australian government, will let them. It's still South Africa and Argentina's um, ability to come to this rugby championship still hasn't been signed off by the federal Australian government or the state governments. Mm. So there's a massive question mark over whether or not this rugby championship will even happen. And it could quite possibly be that the All Blacks play two Bledisloe Cup tests against the Wallabies in Wellington and Auckland, and then head to Australia for two return tests in Sydney, and that's that. RNZ sports reporter Joe Porter.